This week on Dig Me Out. And this is a band that, to me, sounds like they're listening to each other. Tim and Jay review Frame and Canvas by Braid. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me for episode 250, 250, I don't know what what we get for that anniversary, but uh, Jay. It's a nice round number. Yes. It's Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi, your hosts for 250 consecutive episodes, although you did miss one, Jay. Uh, you missed one? one. You missed one round table. As far as I know, uh, thought I missed another one. You there what were a round couple, table that I missed. You missed the round table. Uh, was it the shoegaze round table? No, no, you were there for that. Um, it was a round table. You remember it because it was round. It was a table, <laughs> and it was round. Was it the concerts of the nineties? <clears throat> No, no, you were there for that. Good God. I know you missed one. There were a couple interviews where I think you missed the interview, but we did the beginning and the ends of the shows. Right. Yeah. Hey, man, I've been steady. You have. I'm not as steady as you, but, uh, you know, who who can live up to that? Well, I don't have anything else going on. So literally, (laughs) I'm just sitting in my basement 24 hours a day, seven days a week waiting to record the show and then edit it. So that's the uh, that's the truth right there. So a few weeks back, Jay, we spoke with Jay Robbins of Jawbox and Burning Airlines and many other bands. And we talked about his production work. Uh, he worked with a number of bands. And one of the uh, albums we talked about was uh, Braid. And their 1998 album, Frame and Canvas, which was their album right after, right before they broke up. They broke up the following year. Then they got back together in um, 2000. They got back together a couple times, but uh, 2011, they got back together like permanently. And then they released uh, No Coast in 2014. So he had released, up until 2014, the last record by Braid. And then he recorded the uh, first album by Hey Mercedes, which was Parts of Braid. So I thought, hey, that'd be a good opportunity for us to uh, go check this album out since uh, Jay worked on it and um, it's fresh in our minds. So, Jay, let me ask you, how familiar are you with Braid? Well, I, I, I guess I probably heard of Hey Mercedes first. Um, okay. And then... I think I went back at that point and checked them out, if memory serves. I mean, I could have possibly heard them before then, but more than likely it was probably Hey Mercedes first and then Rediscovery or Discovery backwards. So term for that is. I think I'm in the same boat as you because I think I had heard the name. I think I here's the thing. We got to sort of cover this a little bit because I think we're going to be doing a roundtable on emo next year. And... I wasn't really that into emo. I don't think I, I would not be considered someone who's uh, a, not that they dislike emo. I just it was a little bit late for me in terms of my musical progression. It was a late '90s thing, and I think that I had already kind of, you know, I was in my 
20s by then. I think that that, that appealed to slightly younger uh, audience. So like Promise Ring and Braid and Saves the Day and Get Up Kids and those sorts of bands. Um, and even some of the other ones like Boy's Life and Mineral. I, they were just like slightly outside of my purview at the time. You know, Jimmy Eat World kind of transcended that thanks to the the album that came out in, I guess it was 2001. Uh, it was originally called Bleed American and then they changed it to the self-titled. Because that had a lot of big radio hits. And a lot of these bands didn't have big radio hits. And in fact, Braid broke up, like I mentioned, in 99, one year after their um, 98 release. So I got into them with Hey Mercedes, like you. Um, and then, you know, I knew that Bob and some of the other guys, I think um, Chris Broach, the guitar player, did not play in Hey Mercedes. It was a different guitar player, which is why that band sounds different. Um, so I went back and just sort of gave him a cursory listen, but I had never really invested much time in checking out Braid. So this gives us an opportunity to do so. Yeah, and I, I, I liked Emo. Um, still like it to some degree. I don't think I liked. I'm definitely not an expert on it. I don't think I liked the first generation. I probably, if I started listing out the bands that I liked and the albums I liked, they're probably more of a a second or late first generation of bands. Yeah, I mean, I came to I think the later '90s, early 2000s is when I got into it a little bit. Right. Well, I, I mentioned some bits and pieces of the history so let's just get into the actual history of the band history of the band so braid formed in this is actually a bit of controversy here some places say champaign illinois some say urbana now i think champaign urbana is like sort of like dallas fort worth they're right next to each other and they're, they kind of mingle in certain areas. I'm not sure, but that's kind of what I'm going with. Since there seems to be some sort of disagreement where this band formed exactly. Maybe it's right on the line between the two and they can't settle on it. So, But anyway, 1993, the band forms. They go through a couple lineup changes. But the main lineup is Bob Nana on guitar, Todd Bell on bass, Chris Broach on guitar and vocals. Sorry, Bob Nana was also guitar and vocals. And then Roy Ewing on drums... And then he was replaced in 97 by Damon Atkinson, who's a name, if you listen to the Jay Robbins interview, you'd remember because Jay ended up playing with him in, I believe it was Channels, was the album or the band that Jay Robbins played. So he basically (laughs) recorded this band. They broke up a year later, and then he said, I don't know what the exact conversation was. Hey, why don't you come play in my new band? So, there you go. They put out three records in the 90s. Uh, The first album came out in 1995, Frankie Welfare Boy Age 5. That was released on Divot Records. Then the following year, they released The Age of Octene on Mud Records. And then two years later, they released Braid. Excuse me, Braid released um, Frame and Canvas, the album that we're going to check out. On Polyvinyl, it was produced, like I said, by Jay Robbins and was recorded in uh, December of 97 at Inner Ear Studios. The band also put out a number of uh, compilations following that. If you go to, uh, you know, 
whatever page, you know, Wikipedia or their website, you can read about the split releases and singles and EPs, but they put out Movie Music Volume 1 and Movie Music Volume 2 on Polyvinyl, uh, two full-length compilation albums. Um, And then they got back together. Oh, oh, I don't want to forget. There was also a documentary released um, in 2001 called Killing a Camera. And then they got back together in 2004 to play some shows. Uh, That lasted for a short period of time. And then in 2011, they got back together, recorded a new 12-inch for polyvinyl, played some shows, and then did an EP, and then a full-length No Coast came out in 2014. And I I believe that they're still currently touring. Hey Mercedes sort of uh, ended somewhere in the mid-2000s. The first album uh, I really liked... Uh, every every night fireworks I think it was called second album not so much not care for that record probably because Jay Robbins didn't produce it uh, I think I was in the same boat as you yeah. in fact I think you introduced me to the band it's po- if, possible if memory serves yeah let's talk some braid let's talk some uh, frame and canvas pull up my notes here I went on the wrong page well let's pull up to the sidewalk and take a look yeah <laughs> Whoa! Those notes are beautiful. Hey, you're a little early on that. That's two episodes from now. Oh, I can't wait. Yes. Uh, let's get it. Let's get on track here. So we're going to talk about 1998's Frame and Canvas. Jay, name one thing you like about this record. Drums. Yes. Next. Yeah, I mean the drumming is it's it's pretty intense. Um, you know, I think there was. One song I took a note on that I, I believe there were four d- distinctly different patterns in the first, you know, 45 seconds of the song, mm-hmm. um, which isn't, uh, I guess, which is, I should say, typical of the genre. If you're going to consider this uh, part of the emo thing, you know, coming out of that post her movement, the J. Robbins influence um, and his affinity for great drummers, mm-hmm. um, this very much falls in line with that. Um, which is cool because it the drums carry a lot of the dynamics, carry a lot of the song. So the yep. guitars don't have to work. Not that the guitars aren't interesting, but uh, sometimes they're fairly simple, all things considered. But because the drums are so good um, and so intricate, um, they can they can lay back a little bit more, um, and it, it still sounds full and interesting. Uh, same thing with the vocals. I think sometimes the vocals don't have to play uh, or, or work as hard. Um, because there's so much coming, so much interest coming from the drums, so much dynamic, so much uh, even structure. You know, I, I feel that this record's a bit of a clinic in terms of that. Uh, I think one of the things that maybe separates it from other uh, drum performances in the genre is that it does do a nice job of, of also being not always being you know 100% full throttle all the time, which some of this you know bands in this grouping can. And sometimes, uh, if you think of like at the drive-in, um, you know, a lot of it is 100% go all the time. Um, the, he can get very nuanced and play soft sometimes, which is nice. Uh, and he does some cool things. Um, I don't know if you picked up on this, but you know, the symbols become not just like you know washy, right? Uh, explosions of you know you know just to show like oh this is the loud part so i'm going to crank on my cymbals um he's the bell of the cymbal a lot 
to mm-hmm. create kind of accents and chimes and really cool uh, uh, even polyrhythm sometimes, which is really neat. Um, just a different way to approach the kit, which I I, I really appreciate it, and I think it's one of the things that makes the ultimately makes the record uh, a pretty interesting listen. So if I'm going to pick one thing, I think the obvious thing to pick would be the production. I think that that, in a lot of ways, makes this record so listenable because I've heard a lot of bad, badly produced emo records where the guitars sound really chimey and really uh, high-end driven, and they become so entangled with the cymbals, which are in the hands of a bad overplaying drummer can become you know almost unlistenable you know and sometimes it's just that they don't have the you know this band obviously was working with somebody who had a lot of experience with production or, or no i should say a lot i mean it was 99 jay had produced a couple of things at that point but you know a lot of times when you're dealing with like local bands they don't necessarily get to work with the most experienced producers or or in the best conditions so because they don't have the money to go into a nicer studio with the best equipment but just how listenable this record is. Everything is frequency-wise right where it should be. So that's like the obvious thing. I think the thing that I, I really liked about this record is you mentioned about you know everything th- being full throttle. And there's a great deal of shifting between song to song. Like It could have started with like five just you know jet-fast, propulsive songs. But there's a, like a variation between really fast up tempo and then maybe a, the second song goes to like kind of a swing or or more of a um, a broken beat and they do a really good job in the track listing of keeping you off guard or off kilter with where the next song is going to go and I think that's one of the things that kind of probably when I tried to get into it back in the day that I didn't necessarily love about some of the bands is that a lot of the times they were going full throttle all the time and it just became hard to distinguish the songs from each other. Whereas you have so much musicianship coming from, like you said, the rhythm section, especially the drummer. And then you have a lot of, you know, I would say a, a lot of the guitar stuff is not typical, but there are, you know, those like jagged guitar punches or you'll get like, the guitar riding one chord and then the other guitars playing like sort of like a simple clean lead over top and stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot of like hallmarks of the emo genre when it comes to the way the guitars are played. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do such a good job of varying them from song to song in terms of attacking or, or laying back that um, it doesn't feel as familiar as some of those other records do, or it doesn't, doesn't get as sort of, repetitive as a lot of those records do.
I wonder if I had the same observation, and I'm wondering if they uh, took to Jay's, you know, production critiques more. Really took him to heart and worked on the songs because remember the conversation we had with him was very much about you know his band getting broken down by a producer and really scrutinizing you know how they play together and, right and basically getting them to listen to each other and this is a band that to me sounds like they're listening to each other which results in a lot of nuance and also everybody gets to shine I feel like even though I you know led with the drummer here. Um, one of the reasons I'm noticing him is because, you know, you're not only is he good, but the rest of the band is is noticing him. And you, the bass gets a moment and the guitars get moments. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a couple singers here and they each get moments. And I just feel like it does a really good job um, allowing uh, all the the pieces and the parts of the band to step forward and, you know, get get a spotlight um, sometimes within, you know, individual songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of that is engineering. You know, part of that's how the record is mixed and, and whatnot. But I also feel like part of it is uh, just the band really, it sounds like they really worked on this material and spent a good amount of time really listening to each other and making sure that, uh, you know, they weren't just individually standing there playing their parts, but they were actually, you know, playing off off of one another. Part of that, I think part of that is probably Jay's influence. Um, this is also a band, I think, that's was heavily evolved by this the addition of Damon as a drummer. From what I recall, the first couple releases are a bit more, I don't want to say punk, but they've got like, there's some tri- on this record, blanking on his name for a second, the second guitar player, Broach. He sings two songs, I think two full songs, and then he trades vocals with uh, Bob on the first song. Like, Bob sings the first verse, and then um, uh, Chris Broach sings the second verse. And it's very much in sort of like a screamer, screaming, you know, punk style. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the band was a bit raw, or a bit more raw, I should say, on the first couple records. And I think that there was a natural refinement that they went through, but then you add Jay, who's just come out of Jawbox and is, you know, in the midst of Burning Airlines at this point, adding a whole uh, other dimension with his his use of dynamics, of odd time signatures, of, you know, just a, a much, I guess you'd say, um, what's the, precise approach than some of those other bands that would just sort of blow through a lot of the dynamics. And, you know, you take a a song like A Dozen Roses, you know, it's just, it's, that's a song that I feel like a a mature band in its third album would get to. Like, it builds and there's dynamics and there's, each part of the song has a unique momentum to it. Uh, It's not something that, you know, a, a bunch of like 17 or 18 year old kids learning to play guitar and thrashing out having fun in a basement are going to come up with that's a that's a bit more of a a mature approach to songwriting you know it starts quiet it's built around clean guitars and that's a it's a much different song and i keep a diary 
at the end of the album is also in that vein too. Like it's a lot harder to play slow when you're used to playing up tempo all the time. So they, they're able to pull off some of the quieter moments on this record that are kind of hard to do for some younger bands. They kind of, you know, f- fall into like very predictable traps when it comes to that, when it, whether you're playing like a three, four beat or something along those lines. Yeah, I found the uh, song structures pretty interesting. They're deceptively different, uh, mm-hmm. for lack of a better way to describe it. Uh, at first glance, they're like they don't stand out as being different, but when you start to scrutinize them, like a song like First Day Back," launches right into the melody and the hook. But as I'm sitting there, you know, pulling it apart, I'm, I'm scratching my head because it seems like there's a chorus and then there's a break and then there's another chorus. Like that's how the song to me feels like it goes. Um, which is interesting. Like it's not a, to me, it doesn't feel like a verse chorus, verse chorus, bridge right. chorus. It, it definitely sounds like they go right into the hook. It's, you know, they do that for a good you know 45 seconds. Then they go to this, melodic guitar part that I suppose might be the chorus, but there's no vocal there. And then they go back to the, to this hooky melody. Um, and it works really well. And they, they, you know, they do a bridge later and kind of a palm muted part and then come back and, and kind of take the song out. But, you know, there's like little nuances like that, that, uh, in terms of how these songs are structured, which also helps keep it, um, you know, fairly interesting and whether they did it at purpose or it was just, you know, some of these are so, they're fairly short. I mean, there's a lot of songs in the three minute range. Mm-hmm. It could have just been, you know, this is what came out, you know, in the practice space and sort of working together and playing. And they just refined those ideas down and didn't, you know, try to structure them around necessarily traditional first course, first course bridge kind of thing. So what, what didn't work for you? Yeah, I guess part of me is, is wanting you know, I like the I like that Hey Mercedes record. There, there's a straightforward uh, uh, approach to it, uh, even more so than this. Um, it gets a little navel gazy at times, like uh, um, overly angular or complicated for the sake of being overly angular and complicated, as opposed to the Hey Mercedes stuff, which uh, is more just about you know. Uh, to me, just melody and energy. 
Mm-hmm. Um, not that I w- would want this band to go in that completely in that direction, but it gets a little tedious for me uh, about three quarters into the record. In that regard, uh, they get a you start to hear like breathe in. You know, it's got a lot more of the typical emo hallmarks to it. I'm not a big fan of the other singer. You know, I prefer the, the melodic voice. Is that Bob? You said. Yeah. Um, I prefer that that vocal. So you know, I, it, it's more along that lines. When they basically when the moments where they they sound like an emo band, you know, are they're probably the ones uh, in hindsight that I'm like, ah, this isn't as interesting. This could be this part could be 15 other bands. Like if he just played this section for me, you know, I wouldn't know which which band this was. Right. So th- those are really the moments that I think could be could work a little harder. But all in all, I mean, uh, it's 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 a pretty solid record. Yeah, I I don't have a lot of complaints. I I agree with you that having heard Hamer City's first, and this is probably sacrilegious to some people, but I, you know, his hooks worked for me better on yeah. that record. So <laughs> they were more about the vocal. This sounds like uh, we wrote some we wrote songs and we put some vocals around it, and in a way, it works really well because they produced the record that way. Right. So their songs were like the vocals are pushed back pretty far. Like the last song, I keep a diary. You know, they're they're the guitars are just as loud as the vocals are, but yep. it kind of works. Uh Harry Mercedes, it feels like more like, okay, I got a vocal hook, let's let's have it, the band rally around that and make it all come together. Right. I do want to mention that when you go to the Wikipedia page for Braid, uh the fourth footnote leads you to the book Post, a look at the influence of post-hardcore 1985 to 2007, written by Mr. Eric Grubbs. So we have a, a friend of the show who is a cited reference for this band on their Wikipedia page. Very cool. And I also want to mention that this album um, comes up time and time again as top 10 emo albums of all time. Uh, alternative press enemy bunch of other uh, websites or magazines have mentioned this as being the one of the not only being the band's best album but being one of the top albums of the genre so if you're not familiar with it you should check it out let's give our overall ratings jay worthy album better ep decent single what do you think worthy album for me mm-hmm. uh it's also a record that um, it get, it gets better with with more listens, which is always good. Um, not that the first one is bad, and there's really only a couple on here that probably two songs that you know I I, I could skip. They're fine, but they're you know just a little more typical. But the rest of the material is pretty noteworthy and, and original, especially for this this particular genre. Right. I agree with you, and, and it's a worthy album. And I think what's interesting is, you know, the band broke up in '99. Um, this is right before I think what you're talking about with regards to like the emo, sort of main the mainstreaming of emo, of uh, the early 2000s. Would would that be like the Dashboard Confessional era? Yeah. Yes. So this band basically broke up right before all that stuff happened. Yeah. I was I'd be curious, you know, hey Mercedes didn't cross over into that crowd. 
Um, mm-hmm. I'd be curious if Braid had stayed together, you know, would they have shared in that? I don't know if Bob Nana has the right voice for radio. Yeah, you know what? That's one of the things that I guess I um, that I that I really like about this band, and I liked about her main Mercedes is his voice because it's it's very unique. Yeah, like you know, the minute you hear it, what band? It's one of the two bands, and it's melodic, but it's very earnest. You know what I mean? It's not perfect. You know, no. it gets a little uh, pitchy here and there, and uh, you know he's off a little bit, but he can carry a melody with it and that's what's most important and he can deliver some power with it yep pretty well so that's i think one of the saving graces for the band's as, band as well is that they have a distinctive singer um so when you like i said go through a lot of the genre some of it might sound very similar but when you hear him sing you know it's either braid or hey mercedes right absolutely well i would hope that people will Chime in on this record. I know that there are strong opinions about this genre. Hopefully Eric Grubbs or maybe Tom Mullen will have some things to say. Or if you've got some things to say, head on over to our uh, you know, website, Twitter, Facebook. Leave us some feedback. Uh, also, feel free to head over to iTunes. Leave us some feedback on the podcast. Uh, we appreciate that. And uh, if you have an album you'd like to uh, have us review, be sure to... Head over to digmeoutpodcast.com, request a review page to request a review. Next week, we'll have another review, one that Jay has picked, which we currently don't know what that's going to be. It's I do mystery. know. Oh, you do just, know. We just well, let's, do, let's make a first here and decide on the show. Jay, I want you to decide right now. Uh, I sent you the Wild Hearts, Earth vs. the Wild Hearts. Earth vs. the Wild Hearts. What do you think? I've never heard it, so... Let's do it. You heard it on air, folks. Well, days after we recorded it and I edited it. But there you go. Earth vs. the Wild Hearts. And that came uh, sort of a, uh, somebody just got a free recommendation there, or a free request there because uh, that came up when, when we reviewed the, uh, oh, shoot, what was that band called? The Scottish band. I picked the record. Uh, the Almighty? The Almighty. Uh, somebody mentioned that we should review the Wild Hearts. So yes, they did. Go. It was in our Facebook comments. So there you go. Whoever suggested that the earworm was placed, and Jay has now uh, executed it. So we've you got never know. To... You can get uh, free requests. Yeah, there you go. Comment. All right, for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages.